Welcome back to Software Social. This episode is sponsored by ReCut. If you make videos or screencasts, ReCut could help you cut your editing time by half or more. ReCut removes the awkward pauses, the gaps, and the silent parts so you can stop spending hours slicing and dicing with the razor tool. ReCut makes a cut list that you can import into your favorite Mac-based editor like Adobe Premiere, DaVinci Resolve, Final Cut, or ScreenFlow. You can get 10% off with the code SOFTWARESOCIAL or download the free trial at GetRecut.com. Hey, welcome back to Software Social. I am so excited about what we have going on today. We have Nicole Valdinu, co-founder and CEO of Webinar Ninja, joining us. Welcome, Nicole. Hey, Michelle. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm so <laughs> excited to have you on Um First of all, I mean, you guys have built such an incredible company. Um, just to give a little bit of background. So Webinar Ninja was founded in 2014. You also produce the $100 MBA show, which won Best of iTunes in 2014. 23 full-time team members, 100% customer funded, and amazing business. I am so excited that you're joining us today. Oh, thank you. That's um. That's really nice. It's almost like sometimes you forget, you know, where you've been. You just keep going <laughs> and charging forward. And it's like, yeah, we've been around since 2014. We must be doing something right. <laughs> Some days it doesn't feel like you're doing anything right, you know. <laughs> when in 2014 did you guys launch? Because we were also 2014. Uh, the, uh, Webinar Ninja, like around April. Okay. It was around April. Yeah. Wow. I know. That's it's crazy. <laughs> it's kind of, so we launched in January of 2014 and we are still just the two of us. And you guys have like 23 people. And I mean, it's just so interesting how many like different paths you can take. Yeah. And the number of iterations, I think like, yeah, I don't even remember version one, you know, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it feels so long ago. Um, but that's true. Like I, I, I don't think we like even intentionally set out to just grow, grow, grow. You just kind of take one, one, you know, step forward and you just keep moving. It's like, yeah, we need help. Like, you know, you're answering all your customer support queries in the beginning. And then it's like, no, you need some help. And then you hire your first teammate and then it just, just keeps growing. So let's fast forward a little bit to, I guess would be five years into it for both of us. Um, we met at microconf in 2019 and we're basically instant friends. Um, and I remember what, I think, I don't know, I think you might've come up to me and you were really interested in learning how to do customer interviews, which is like my jam. Um, yeah, I loved that conference so much. It was, it was such a, I think for me, that was the first time it was kind of the first SaaS focused conference. I think a lot of the conferences I'd been to before were very, I don't know about you, if you've attended like other conferences outside the SaaS space, but a lot of podcasting conferences, um, you know, I remember the first, did you, do you remember NMX? New Media Expo? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I didn't, I've never been a huge conference attender. So I haven't been to a lot. That was my first conference and that was January of 2013. Um, and that was literally when I, you know, 
that was my first kind of foray into entrepreneurship and so meeting bloggers and podcasters and it was all just such a new unknown like world but I remember like microconf being just really special because I just felt like that it was it was kind of like I felt people were really honest and vulnerable and authentic when it came to talking about you know the pitfalls and the challenges of SaaS mm-hmm. businesses and yeah and I remember I loved your talk because I just felt like you did what was it like a like it was a 10 minute tactic or something or yeah it was, like, it was yeah. an attendee talk yeah yeah. And, and I still have your notes. <laughs> I shared this with you last time we spoke. I still have your notes because I just thought it was so helpful, so practical. And the the crazy thing is though, when was that? So that was MicroConf 2019, right? Yeah. So that's the first time I heard. I think that's the kind of the first time I really thought, oh, you can do like you, you can talk to your customers. You can do like this kind of user research. And I've only done my very first customer user research this year. (laughs) So three years on, but I still have your notes and it was, yeah, it was just super inspiring. I just thought it just seems like such a cool thing to do. And um, yeah. And so I finally, finally took the plunge. So let's dive into that plunge a little bit, because I think it's, I think it's totally normal that it would take you some time from, from like having that moment of being, oh, wait, I can talk to customers to then sort of not, not just like sort of working up the courage for it, but also the time and like fitting it into your schedule and thinking it really, really through. And so like, could you kind of take us back to earlier, I guess, earlier this year when you really started to, to hit the ground on it? Yeah. And I mean, I should, I should also say that we had done user research and customer interviews, but it wasn't me that had done it. Mm-hmm. So Omar, who's my co-founder, the CEO, also my husband, business and, and partner in life and business, he had done the first user interviews and, and kind of had, cause he's more customer has been always more customer facing, you know, he had done user interviews, but it was something that I never felt that I could do like I'd kind of be behind the scenes and reading intercom like support you know conversations and and seeing what you know customers were saying and replying but it was all very much chat and email never like let's get on a call and let's talk about it so recently we've kind of wanted to it's the whole reason behind starting to do this is because we wanted to kind of refine part of our offering and also look at a potential MVP out of this um this offering and so I just thought I don't know and all of a sudden I just felt like I want to do it I don't even know what like why I just woke up one morning and said I'm gonna do these (laughs) which is like really unlike me but um but I just decided to yeah I think I made that decision like I'll do the interviews and then as soon as I took that decision I literally went for my notebook from the to look for the notes that I took from microconf I then went and looked at all your blog posts and everything that you had on you know on the topic as much as I could like digest in like I had a week I think before I was like I scheduled the first one and and then yeah and then I was just like okay I have got my questions now thanks to like you know I looked up some of the sources that you had you know referenced so I went and you know okay I've got my questions now I know what I want to do I, want, I know what I want to ask and then it was literally the mechanics of okay get a calendly up 
um, send out the blast, uh, or like the blast out on intercom to actually invite people to, you know, to be interviewed. Um, so then all those little pieces too that I think like I was kind of procrastinating on, they just all fell together really quickly. It's like, okay, you just got to invite people, people reply, you just got to have a, you know, a sequence to, you know, send them your Calendly, then it all gets done. Then you've got your questions and then it just, then they just started. And then as soon as I did my first one, I was really upfront with the first, she was, she was lovely. Um, my first interviewee and, um, that was great because I was very nervous and I just basically said, you're the first person I'm interviewing. So, and, and so that kind of just made me feel a bit more at ease. Um, and, and she was just lovely and just easy to talk to and just answered all my questions. And then I just realized after that call, I was like, this is so much fun. I love this. I think when we talked last time, I was like, well, totally geeking out on just how much fun it is and what a positive experience it actually ends up being talking to your customers I think last time we talked which was about a month ago um I remember you said that it had basically become your favorite part of your job did I say that yeah it's true it's weird it's totally taken me by surprise kind of was thinking a little bit more about that though why I feel like it's a very positive experience because mm. initially I thought, oh, you know, there's the potential that, you know, the conversation could uh, just turn into like, a, this is one of the things I thought it would turn into. I thought it would turn into a, let's, let's ask about, um, you know, support for webinar ninja, like show me how to do this or complain about something that's not working as expected. I thought it would go down that path but it didn't it just ended up being very much focused on uh the questions I was asking and which was really focused on what they do like how they deliver their content um and and about their business and about why I mean the my favorite question and this I think comes from your blog post and I think this is what kind of I see them light up and kind of lights me up is when I ask them what's the big picture what mm -hmm. are they trying to do? Mm -hmm. And that question is just, it's, it's just my favorite question on the, on the interviews because it just brings out, um, yeah, it just gives them an opportunity to really um, share, oh, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And they get to just, I don't know if I'm like rambling a little bit, but I don't know. Have, you've asked that question before, right? When Yeah. I'm curious. Can you ask me that question as if you were interviewing me? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Michelle, what, what's the big picture of what you're trying to do? And that's it. That's it. Like, that's only a couple of words. They're, they're not very big words. Like, it's a, such a simple question, yet you have found that that just lights people up. Mm-hmm. There's only one person that kind of asked for clarification. And then when I had to reframe it, I just said, why are you doing what you're doing? Oh, my why. Oh, okay. <laughs> but everyone, everyone else kind of, it was interesting. Like everyone else got it and it all comes around to, you know, they want to help, they want to share, they want to empower. It's just, it just brings out, yeah, it brings out their why 
but without asking it in that way. Because I think if you say, what's your why? I think if it's all, I don't know why that feels a bit more daunting than what's the big picture? Because the big picture, because sometimes I would actually expect from that answer that they would talk about the, what they're trying to achieve in their business. I actually didn't know originally where that question would go. That's kind of probably why it surprised me. I thought it would be more focused on the business. Like they would mm. tell me what they're trying to achieve, maybe financially or, you know, what their goals are. But it did kind of step back for some reason. It, it, it did actually generate the response of this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. That I've makes been, sense. No, it does. <laughs> I've actually been, I was thinking about this a lot the past couple of days because one of my, um, my subject matter editors for my book um, was they, they made a note in the uh, in their edits that I had a couple of why questions and they reminded me that those need to be what questions. And I've been thinking about what's and why's all weekend oh. actually. So I'm so glad you brought this up because um, when we ask someone a why question, we're asking, in, in some ways we're asking for causality we're asking why they do something like and asking them mm. to sort of think through the reasons why they do something. But if you ask someone the same question, but you rephrase it as a what, it's a much easier question. Like, why are mm. you here versus what led you here? They're oh, basically the sense. same question. But if I ask you what led you here, you walk me through the different steps that you went through and the causality can sort of come through the details of that versus if I said why are you here then you have to sit and you'd be like well, why why am I here and like like you get lost a little bit in the question and so asking a what question instead is usually cognitively much easier to answer and you know maybe as you said some people may you know they may appreciate being asked a why question after mm -hmm. the initial what question but for most people asking, you know, I mean, I do this with my daughter too, right? Like, you yeah. know, instead, instead of saying like, you know, you know, why, like, why aren't you down here for dinner yet? Like being <laughs> like, being like, so what's your plan? Like dinner is on the table. What's your plan? And then that opens up to, oh, well, I'm actually getting this ready. Or like, you know, this weekend she's like, I'm, oh, I'm making a card for daddy for father's day. Okay. All right cool. Like you're not, this, this isn't an intentional thing, but so rephrasing as a, what I think gives it also, as you said, it gives people options to where to take that question. And I think, I think kind of as sort of both of us just had a moment of earlier on when we were talking of like, wow, I guess we have been doing this for a long time and it's pretty awesome. And how cool is that? Like, we don't really step back and think about that very often. And I wonder if when you ask that question, it like, it sounds like you are prompting that same kind of reflection in people, which in turn makes them really excited to talk to you because you're making them feel good about themselves and what they do. Yeah. I'm just blown away by that. Just that little explanation about the difference between the what and the why, like it just takes the whole process the whole asking those questions to another very sophisticated level and I just realized sometimes like I don't want to I don't sometimes I feel like I don't want to think too much about it but I think it can be so sophisticated and so refined the actual process of asking these questions and learning more about people 
I guess this is my first run at it. And yeah, like even if it's, if it's not at that level, whatever I'm getting out of it, I feel is worthwhile. And I know that I can take it to another level because I love what you just explained. And I think it makes so much sense. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many layers to it. There's so yeah. many layers to it. And it's true. I do feel that it does. I do feel that sense of um, like, it's fun. Like they don't mind. Like the crazy thing is it's like, I don't know how long the tick, the, you know, a, t- a typical interview should be. I should ask you that, but you know, I said, you know, I don't want to take up too much pe- of people's time. So I just said, okay, I'll just keep it to 20 minutes. They've all gone over time and there's mm-hmm. not a sense of like, I need to get off this call. I have to initiate that. Let's get off this call because <laughs> they're very happy to continue talking. Cause we're both actually having, I feel like it's an enjoyable experience on both sides, which is really cool. I, yeah. You know, that really surprised me, but so that, that makes a lot of sense to me because you are like, you're hearing about how your product helps them and which, you know, I, you mentioned you, you know, pop in on intercom support tickets and whatnot. Like, I think for, you know, us founders who do like talk to our customers a lot, just by default, because, you know, there's customer support, there's sales, like there's, there's all of those other things, but interviewing someone is so so different because they tend to like, it's a much more like appreciative environment than, than like, Hey, there's this bug or whatever. Um, but then also <laughs> for that person, like they get to talk about what they do and there are actually like MRI studies they've done of people when they are, when they are talking about themselves or their experiences to another person, like the parts of the brain related to motivation and enjoyment light up way more than they do than if you were, than you were listening to someone else talk, or you're, you're talking about something that isn't directly related to your own experience. So it's like, it, it is enjoyable for people to, to be asked these questions. But I think as you kind of, as we were sort of talking about a little bit with the what's and the why questions, like there's, there's a lot of like levels here, but you don't necessarily need to know all of those levels in order to get started. You just need to be, I think kind of like you did just sort of being willing to take the jump, which, you know, I think the first time feels a little bit like a polar bear dip and and jumping in a freezing cold ocean. And you're like, okay, here we go. And then the next time you're just like sprinting towards the ocean and excited for it. (laughs) Have you ever been just going sideways now? Have you ever been stood up on one of these interviews? Yeah. Okay. So I noticed that that, like it used to happen a lot when I was a product manager working in a, in a company. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, so, but when I'm found I'm recruiting as the founder, like people tend to show up, like, it seems like it's more important to them. Like when I was working Mm -hmm. in a company, we had someone who was coordinating all of the interviews. And so we had never spoken to them before we got on the phone with them, even over email. And I think it's easier to blow off like an anonymous person rather than the person they're going to talk to, Never mind somebody who has uh, a title, whether that's co-founder or like, I mean, Mm. sometimes we actually invented titles just for the purpose of interviews. Like, oh, that makes sense. Like, I think we'd sign some like head of customer experience, which wasn't even a title at the company. 
Um, and actually Cindy Alvarez in lean customer development talks about doing this too, that like, if it's much easier to no show when, um, when you don't feel like an attachment to that person. Um, so I think these days, if someone doesn't show up, it's usually because like something, like something legitimately like came up. Yeah, no, Um, I I totally feel that because it's literally been just one person and I do feel like there would be something legitimate because I do recognize that sometimes I feel like there's an element of not intimidation, but like, oh, wow, I'm actually getting to talk to the co-founder. So mm-hmm. it is a bit more special for mm-hmm. them. And I do feel the first part of the interview might be a little bit um, not stiff, but yeah, maybe a little bit stiff until we kind of, you know, until I think the big picture question really breaks down the let's forget that, you know, we're just literally two people talking. And then I think they do forget the interview setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd say like, you know, just one out of how many I've done. And it's not that many. I've done 13. So one out of 13, that's not bad. You can do the math. I, don't know what the, I haven't calculated <laughs> what the ratio percentage that is. Um, but uh yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think, and, and, and the flip side of that too, is the, the recognition at the end, which I get to feel really kind of special or feel so it's so rewarding for me when they'll turn around at the end and say, you know, this is so good that you're doing this. Like they really appreciate that a company would actually listen take the time to talk to their customers um, and they, you know, they, I've had people wish me the greatest success and you're going to do a great job and this is going to be amazing. And it's just, and you could, and I feel, I like, I genuinely feel like they're being authentic because they felt like I've listened to them. I've, you know, taken the time to, you know, give them an opportunity to share what they need, what their pain points are, um, you know, learn a little bit more about themselves. And then I do feel there's that reciprocation of like, I wish you well. And I, no, I wish you well. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of cheesy, but it's kind of sweet at the same time. You know, I find that people who I do interviews with, even though it's really not intentional, like they will offer to do a testimonial for us. They will offer to be a reference. Like, like, or I'll notice on Twitter, like six months later, like they're the one who's like popping in on threads when, when people need what we do, like it really creates this like incredibly valuable connection. Yeah. Do you have any, like, do you do any follow-up up? Like what's the next step? Cause literally I'm at like stage one right now where it's like doing the interviews analyze. I've just hardly just, you know, started the analysis and I haven't gotten very far. And then I'm thinking, well, what's the next step after that? Is this some other sort of invite them to a focus group with, you know, like what's, what have you done? So I actually, I, I'm going to come back to asking you about the analysis. I'm super interested to hear about that. Um, it depends really on what it is. So for example, if they like talked about something that let's say that we end up deciding in the future might be a new product, for example, like I might come back to them and be like, Hey, you know, this thing we talked about, and it might've been like three years ago, like we're exploring this now. Like, can I talk to you specifically about this particular element again? Or maybe we have a prototype of something asking them to run through it with us. Or, you know, if, if there was sort of something that was unclear or we needed to follow up with them about, um, 
but sometimes there is no follow-up very often actually they will follow up with me and be like hey like you know like you guys seem really open to feedback and so um we're you know we're working with this other piece of data like is there any chance you guys could support that or whatever like they will come mm -hmm. back to us very often um but there doesn't you know beyond a thank you note really there there doesn't mm -hmm. have to be it, there can be as much follow-up mm -hmm. as you need right like if you're doing something yeah. early like it might make sense to you know to ask them Hey, like, can I come back to you for further questions if our prototype, or maybe to help us prioritize different things, like to go back and do card sorting with them? Um, it really, it kind of like it sounds like you're talking to people who have been customers for a long time. Could we actually talk about that targeting you did to to decide who to talk to? I didn't. I just ran. No, they might not be customers for a long time, but they definitely are users and have. Um, and I would say that the ones who've replied are all, you know, they've had, they've used the product for some time, um, mm -hmm. but it could be as little as like a, a month. It doesn't yeah. have to be not longer than that. And then, yeah. Yeah. We've had, I've had some more long time users, but generally it's, yeah, just people that, because the question was quite targeted um, and asked a very specific question when I did the call out, like, do you do this and this? I'd love to talk to you. Oh yeah, Wait, like, what yeah. was what was the exact question? The exact question was, do you uh, run live courses or live training? Oh, I want to talk to you. And then so that was the yeah, that's how I got them in. So I think that specific question um, helped. So I well, I don't know if it helped. <laughs> that's the first time I've done. I've put you, this out there, so I don't know. You picked that question because you said you're exploring an MVP of something and also sort of potentially um, repositioning or, or, or sort of tweaking your positioning towards that specific market. Yes, because of it's a current um, usage. It's a current way that the customers are using, you know, mm -hmm. Webinar Ninja to deliver live training and live courses. So I wanted, I want to learn more about how they're using it and where their pain points are and um, yeah. And what we could do better in that, in that kind of space. Mm -hmm. It sounds like so, it was a question most people would answer yes to. If they do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But not all our users. Mm. So, because I suppose, you know, there's a lot of, um, Webinar Ninja users who are, you know, using Webinar Ninja for marketing. Right. And they're not necessarily delivering training. As right. Yeah. So the analysis before we talk mm. about what you do after the analysis. Oh my God. So how I feel is, like what, what, what are you doing? Like, like what does this process look like for you right now? And it may not be sort of conceptualized as a process. Okay. So, so far it involves printing out the transcript. Mm -hmm. <laughs> step one. Uh, step two is reading it with a highlighter and and so I guess where I'm struggling or where I kind of want to refine the analysis is what am I looking, because I'm looking for a few things, I suppose. I'm looking for, you know, words that they say of things that they actually do, actions they perform, things mm. that are concrete. Then there's also the, oh, I wish something that they don't do, but it's mm -hmm. kind of aspirational. So 
you know, how much weight can you put on, 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 on those kinds of, you know, you know, it's like, oh, we should do this, but it's like, well, have you ever done that? And, you know, how likely are you, they don't know, they wouldn't know, right? If, mm-hmm. if it's something just like, you know, and then it's also, um, yeah, looking at it through the, the filter of like a marketing message, how would I then communicate to resonate with people who are doing um, the same thing so that I could, you know, attract the same type of people as customers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like three buckets, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And do you? So, and so yeah. And yeah. then so there's the, the highlighting, and then it's because of there's these kind of three kind of areas, and I'm just kind of I have columns, and I'm just writing out you know things that fit under those columns. <laughs> do you feel like you're getting out of that what you were hoping for? Um, well, I have to say so far from just the interviews themselves, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of it, but I, I want to see, I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. know. This is a little bit like, I don't know. Have you, early stages, (laughs) have you tried diagramming the process for them? Like trying to sort of identify what, you know, what their big picture is. And then just all of the different pieces of that, even if they're not you know, sometimes we think of a process as like a bunch of linear steps, but sometimes it's also mm-hmm. sort of an ecosystem of steps that kind of sometimes all sort of happen in a jumbly sort of order at the same time. And I'm curious if you've been able to sort of um, figure out what that looks like for even for each person. No, but you're obviously saying that I would do that diagrammatic kind of visual for each one right and then later look at all the similarities yeah so some I mean if you're looking at people who are going through the same sort of overall goal then it would make sense to to split out Mm. all of the different steps per person and then to to break them out by did did we talk about the different dimensions of problems like the functional social emotional dimension you high yes but I was very like new to everything you were saying so I was like what I didn't know if I processed <laughs> everything <laughs> that's okay so um so I find this helpful especially for like pulling out um relevant parts that can be used for for, for marketing or like you know sort of um wouldn't like quote them exactly but like that can inform like copy and whatnot so there's a functional dimension to a problem which is you know they, they want to run a sales training because they need their salespeople to sell more or something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, so, so they need a tool that allows them to connect with their salespeople remotely. For example, there's a social element, which is they are running this training and there may be 10 people that they are training. And those 10 people have different levels of technology experience. And some of them have been with the company for a very long time. Some of them are very new. Like what are the different social factors going on and how might they express that? Like, I want my team to feel like they're on the same page. Like for example, might come Mm. through in a quote. And then you say, so you hear that word team and you're like, okay, wait, what do they mean by team? Who exactly is on that team? Like what, what is the story of all of how all these people came to be working together? And there might be an emotional perspective as well of like, how, how do they feel about the tool they used before? Was it frustrating for them? Did they feel like they were 
you know, banging their head against the keyboard, trying to get it to work or to get their team members to install it? Or do they feel great when they get off of these trainings? Like, does this, do they find the tool, you know, easy to use? Like, and like, those are like, those also can come out in the quotes too. And so what I find helpful is to kind of and diagram the different steps and they may be, they may be linear steps. They may be, you know, concurrent, like, and then, and then, but for each one of those pieces of it, breaking out the functional, social, emotional components of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) It's so cool because there's just, there's so much to unpack in, you know, in, in one person's experience. And then I suppose as you see the commonalities, I guess that's when you, you know, across more people saying, if they're saying the same thing, I guess that's when you get validation. That's when you get, um, yeah, the understanding that this is affecting, um, this could be affecting more people. Um, so I, I, I suppose I've, I've gone, you know, the experience of actually talking to one person becomes very like, it's just you and that person. And it becomes very much restricted to that world. And then you've got to step back and go, okay, I've got all these people now. They've said all these things. Now I've got to make sense of it. So it's just, I feel like I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the first stage so much. <laughs> I'm like, and I feel like I've gotten a lot out of that first stage, but now it's like, okay, now this data is so valuable. What do I do with it? And, mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that, yeah, it's unpacked. And then obviously I know this information, I'm going to be unpacking it, but then I've got to communicate it to the rest of the team as well. So putting it in a way that's like, you know, that I can share with Omar and the product team and our CTO. So there's just so many levels to it, but it's, you know, it's all doable. It's exciting. Just, I think the more people you talk to, too, you're going to start seeing those commonalities in, in processes. So like last episode, I was talking a little bit about um, activity-based design, which is basically the idea of, of um, going a step beyond human-centered design and thinking about the, the different processes that people are going through. And then you can start seeing the the commonalities there. So for example, when I'm talking to someone and it turns out that they're using us because they're doing, um, you know, um, US government uh, home mortgage lending compliance, like Mm -hmm. their experiences of that are going to be very different than somebody who is, um, you know, working with um, getting the time zone back from tractors that are in fields. Um, and, but if I talk to somebody who's doing the compliance, like generally, like, like, as I, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, now I have a better idea of what this process is from an overall perspective. How can I learn more about this person's, like their company's specific functional elements, their specific social elements, like their specific emotional pieces. Like what do they think of the other options that they've tried compared to the other people I've heard and getting more and more depth each time but there can be a huge um, breadth and, 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 and especially as I think you guys also are a horizontal SaaS, right? So you're, you're selling across many different industries. And, and, and I think this is where customer interviews are so fun because I get to learn about so many uh, 
industries. And like, I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I know. I was so varied. Versus, you know, someone who's selling horizontal, sorry, vertically within Mm -hmm. one industry, like they might not have that same, you know, it it, it might vary based on, you know, company size or or stage Mm -hmm. or or whatnot. Um, I'm really curious. You mentioned bringing your team into it, which you know, as, as a two person team, we don't really do as much, but mm. so like, how have you been able to bring other team members into this or, or like involve them in, in what you're learning? Well, so far, like the first step I thought would be just, okay, I'll put it, I'll make sure that I share the recording, the transcript, uh, the details of the person I've used, you know, in like little folders on Basecamp, I've just basically organized it into little folders. And then as soon as I, you know, put up a new, a new interview, then I make sure that I share it with, um, so far right now, it's just me, Omar and our product, um, UX UI designer, Maria. So I just share it. I say, Hey guys, there's a new interview. Um, and I know they've been watching some of them. Um, you know, I've highlighted a few that I thought, Oh, this is super interesting. This person is definitely, um, someone we'd go back to. So, that's been just the extent of it so far. I feel like if I'm going to then, you know, share it, say with our CTO when it comes to more development time or, you know, when it's, it starts to be a thing that's going to be fleshed out or, you know, there's any development work, then I feel like there would have to be more kind of uh, maybe a bit more of a traditional kind of a report where it's like, you know, X percent of people said this or the majority are saying this, this is what, you know what I mean? It would have to be mm-hmm. kind of be backed up a little bit more by statistics. <laughs> I think there, you know, I, I like to use qualitative and quantitative data together. And, you know, I, I'm thinking back to when I was working in a bigger company, you know, we would say like, for example, we see, you know, you know, 35% of users drop off on this page and, mm-hmm. you know, and then having a sort of data that like, this is important to the business for, you know, X millions of dollars reason, right? Like mm-hmm. if fewer yeah. people did that, then hello money. And, <laughs> and then, but then we have like quotes from people of like, oh, well, it turns out that like, they find this really difficult because that X, or they're looking for this other piece of information that isn't there. So they click the back button. And then here's a quote from someone that says, I really didn't know where to go. Like, and then, mm. and it's like, okay, so like, here's the picture, like, and now here, yeah. okay, great. Like, here's a project to like, here's something that a team can work on of like, you know, the bounce rate from here is 35%. Like, mm. let's get it lower because we have the, you know, we understand why people are doing that. We also understand why it's important to the business. Like statistics I find will not really come out of interviews, but interviews explain why the statistics are what they are. Like mm, a spreadsheet yeah. of data will tell us what is happening, but it will never tell you why. Right. Only people can tell you why, but you need both. Like it's, it's, yes. I think there's sometimes people sort of think about like that you only use, you know, quantitative data or, you know, I talk about interviewing and they think you only do interviewing and I'm like, mm-hmm. no, like, Por que no los dos? Like, use it all together. Okay, no. (laughs) Definitely los dos, definitely. (laughs) Well, yeah, it it makes sense. And I think that's just, I think, why the process of actually, um, you know, literally doing a very manual printing out, highlighting actually gives you the opportunity to to read because you know you're going to get one kind of experience when you're listening the first time and you you know you're asking the follow-up questions but there's so much probably that's missed even on that call until you actually go and read and 
and highlight and just yeah analyze word for word everything that was said I think there's a whole other layer there to unpack yeah I wonder have you asked Maria your UI UX designer to also read through them and do her own highlights no not yet but that, that is that something you that yeah, might you be might- interesting and and there is um research that says that when like multiple people are analyzing an interview, they pull out Mm. more of the problems. So the, the sort of like the paper on customer research was in the, is in the context of usability testing. It's called the voice of the customer. It's from 1993 or 1994. Mm -hmm. Um, And they did all these different tests on how to pull out customer uh, problems and, and analyze them. And they found that um, multiple people analyzing um, an interview tends to bring out many more of the user needs than just one person doing it. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Because then like the way I'm thinking, obviously I'm trying to do this as fast as possible too, right? Let's Mm. get to like analysis and presentation of like, here it is. This is what we need to do, right? I'm trying to like speed that process up. But yeah, the risk there is that it's really then just my interpretation. And right. okay, right. And some they might just watch a video and valid. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But that le- deep level of analysis is yeah is going to be missed if we don't give that opportunity. So yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, we did that, I believe, like with the first user interviews, um, we gave those to our marketing um, teammate. So that's how those were used I feel but I definitely think if it's you know we're starting you know if it's an MVP then yeah you're right like someone else needs to go I think this is actually the problem or yeah I agree or no I disagree that's not the problem and I think you organizationally giving somebody else the chance to discover something too like they're not just being told what the learning is, but they have it like chance to discover it for themselves and maybe see something that somebody else missed. Mm. And one thing I love in um, Erica Hall's Just Enough Research is she talks about how powerful it is to bring other team members into the process because they're, um, you know, when we do interviews and then bring them to other people and we're so excited about what we've learned, sometimes people can feel threatened or intimidated by that. Because all yeah. of a sudden there's this new information coming in and now it's on them to mm-hmm. learn it rather than they didn't get to experience the joy of discovery themselves. Oh my and, God, you're blowing my mind. Sorry. And, <laughs> it's, and so it's more like if, if you can allow them to be in on the discovery process, whether that's as, you know, a silent listener on the call or as part of analyzing the transcripts or even, you know, collating transcripts, which is when you find, you know, mm-hmm. let's say you find five common quotes and then you're, um, putting them all together of of different commonalities, like they're part of the process. They're part of what's being learned and they Mm. feel more invested and aligned with like, like, I just remember when, when, like when we, when I worked in a bigger company and we started bringing in the developers into just sitting in on usability testing and not even asking questions or anything, just, just listening, like the level of team motivation and alignment, like skyrocketed. Because all of a sudden, everybody was learning. It's almost, I, I just, yeah, I hear you. Like that, it makes so much sense. But I suppose it's one of those things that we just feel like, oh, we don't have, 
time. You know, we got to move on. We got to keep, it's one of those things that does take time, but you're right. Like that excitement that I think is like, this is so awesome. I'm having so much fun. This is so important. I'm learning so much just by sharing it. It literally is just my experience at that, at that point, unless somebody else gets to um, discover it for themselves. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> how long are they, this whole process is going to take three times as long. No, 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 but it's good. It's good. It's so, it's so valuable, but um, yeah. It also, the, in the, the process doesn't have to ever stop. Mm. You know, it sounds like you're sort of in an intense phase right now where you've done, I mean, w- when did you start doing the interviews? Oh my gosh. Um, would have been like not that long, probably just like three, four weeks ago. Okay. And you've done 13 in the past month, basically. Yeah. Less three. three. Yeah. A lot. That's, that's a lot. Like that's a really good number. Like, um, you know, I, I guess you are doing a specific like project. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. usually the, what I, like the general, um, guidance is to do five and then sort of stop and pause and analyze and see if you need to change your, um, targeting. It sounds like you're consistently hearing different things from different people. So that warrants talking to more people, but also making research, not just something that happens when you have a specific question, mm-hmm. but just as a general sort of, I, I, I think I tend to call it like maintenance research, like just sort yeah. of on a general um, basis, but like, that's, that's really good. 13 in, in that amount of time. And so it makes sense that it would feel a little bit like okay, now I have to analyze all of this and this is going to be a lot of time. Yeah. And like, mm. where am I going to find the time for this in addition to everything else? But I think, I hope that eventually you can find a place where you're just kind of doing like one or two a week and maybe you're doing one and mm. your UX person or a marketing person or somebody, a developer, even like they're doing another interview. So then you've got just like two a week and then it's like, okay, like, what did we learn? Like, you know, does this, does this match what we've heard in the past? How does it differ? Like what new have we learned? Like, is there anything else we should kind of, you know, consider digging on in the future? Mm. I love that. I wish, I mean, frankly, like the five would have been helpful if you told me that. Sorry. (laughs) The magic number five. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, you also don't, you don't have to limit yourself to five, right? Like it's just sort of, that's like the kind of goal and again that's that is also based on research too that you can surface in the context of usability studies but like surface 80 percent of customer needs with five interviews but that assumes a uh, a pretty defined scope and where you started mm. with a broad scope it makes sense yeah. that, that, that you would need more until you feel like you're starting to hear patterns Yeah. And I love what you said, like that it definitely, and I'm so passionate. I think the more I do this and the more like I talk about this and geek out on this and just love this whole process, the more I realize how much it should be a part of just regular in processes within a company. Like like you said, yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to spearhead the user research part of the company. (laughs) Well, because it is, it's, I mean, I, I don't know, like, like you said, we said at the beginning, it's like, it's one of those things. I think as a company grows, you end up doing a lot more 
management and and that's great because if you're working with great people it's okay to you know to do all those management duties but this just becomes you know and, and then you know there's obviously always the putting out little fires here and there whatever but this this has just been such a positive experience that I think I just really enjoyed it for that reason so having this as an ongoing thing um, I think is it would be great It sounds like you are, I I can just, I I feel like I can see how how inspired you are by doing, like by how motivating it is. Um, Mm -hmm. I am, I'm so excited to continue (laughs) hearing um, about how all this goes. Um, And I feel like, I feel like I could talk to you about this all day because on it, like talking to people about talking to people is my favorite topic. (laughs) Like, um, like for my book, I interviewed 30 people because I just, it's just so much fun. Um, but if other people want to stay in touch with you, what, what is the best way for them to do that? Oh, I'd like to reach out. Um, just reach out, uh, Nicole at webinarninja.com. There you go. You got my email and you're on Twitter too, right? (laughs) On Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram as well. Um, you know, they can contact our support team and ask for Nicole. Be, you know, I'm in there. I'm, I, <laughs> I, I'm in there every day. <laughs> you know? so awesome. I, yeah. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I could, like, like you said, I could talk about this for, for days, days on end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this week. If you liked this week's episode, please leave us a review or tweet at Nicole and I. We would absolutely love to hear Um, what this made you think about. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabel developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.